to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Purging for me and a lot of people's eating disorder for them is like a companion. It's like your best friend. Like, you know, it's been with me for nine years. That's the better part of a decade. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. A proud First Nations and Maltese woman, Makili is stunning. She's tall, olive-skinned, with big brown eyes. She's smart, funny and sensitive. The whole world at her feet. But she's also battling a demon, bulimia, and has been since her early teens. Eating disorders are often viewed as a privileged disease, misunderstood, mocked. This interview was recorded just as McKeeley had left an eating disorder clinic, which was heightened throughout COVID. This is her story. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Makili, you have just had a really interesting experience and I think that we should probably start there and then we can go back in time. Yeah, okay. Can you tell everyone where you were last week? So last week was the first time in nine years of having an eating disorder that I was seeking clinical treatment to try and sort of work through, I mean, the demons stay with you forever, but try and get a grip on them and get control of my life. And I think because of all the COVID stuff, my eating disorder had been spiraling quite badly, probably for the last year, but it just got to a place where it was completely unmanageable um, for me. So I was in a clinic. So when you say, so nine years, we're going back to when you were 14. Yeah. You're 23. Mm-hmm. And you're saying COVID really uh, kind of shone a light or magnified the situation. How did that play out when you say it kind of got unmanageable? Well, my eating disorder has been evolving all the time, constantly throughout the nine years. It's never really been at the same stage or um, played out in the same way. And probably for a year, I noticed I was slipping into some really bad old patterns that I hadn't really experienced since I was 
probably around 15 or 16. And then with everything that happened with, um, you know, quarantine and lockdowns and spending a lot of time indoors and also just the general conversation in the media and social media and amongst people about, you know, um, you know, the, the laziness of sitting around and all the eating. And it just really magnified a lot of the issues and um, the, the poor relationship I have with food and with my body. And I noticed myself slipping at a much quicker rate than I had been um, in the previous 12 months that, you know, things had started to get a little bit bad for me. And I had been, my GP had been observing a decline in like my health and my weight and it it was quite gradual and then all of a sudden it was just quite steep and it became quite clear that you know I was in poor health and something really needed to be done Um, which is it's a first for me because I had only been hospitalized once for my eating disorder which is basically unheard of um, when you've when you've been experiencing something for nine years Mm. it's generally something that Um, You're in and out of hospitals and you're under the close watch of a doctor, but I had managed it mostly myself the whole time. With people knowing or not knowing? I'm a super secretive person with things that are private or that make me feel vulnerable. So obviously at a really young age, it was impossible to hide that I had a disordered relationship with food and with eating and that I used to purge. Um, So obviously my family were aware of that. But as the years sort of progressed and I gave the impression that I had a much more manageable relationship with my eating disorder in spite of the fact that, of course, it was always around. Mm. Um, I I generally started to hide it even from the people closest to me. Like I only live – like I live alone with my mum, so it's just the two of us. And when my – so it didn't start off as bulimia, but when my eating disorder evolved into bulimia, it was literally only me who knew. And I think that that's – very unusual when you're living with just one other person and it's also quite problematic because things like eating disorders like it's a disease it's like an addiction like it thrives in secret and you know when there's no one sort of watching or there's not a lot of awareness and it's just you and your disease Mm. it gives it an opportunity to grow and kind of get a little bit out of control which is what happened to me so there's so much there but I'm thinking of having just your mum in your place and having something like bulimia, which if you can explain to people, I'm sure most people know, but if they don't know, what is that? And then how do you keep that a secret? I know, I know. So it's it's basically impossible to have um, – I have quite a close relationship with my mum too. So she's very observant of my patterns and um, bulimia or any eating disorder really affects your mood or mm. your outlook on the world. Um, I definitely slip into a bit of a, a dark mindset when my eating disorder takes over. So, I mean, I'm sure she wasn't without her suspicions, but for anyone who doesn't know what bulimia is, it's it's t- typically um, a disorder where you'll binge and then purge. You're binge eating. Yes. So you grab anything and everything and eat, eat, eat till you're sick and yes. then you vomit. Yes, that's right. Okay. However, my um, experience with bulimia has not been stereotypical or like cookie cutter, um, which which makes it harder because when you don't fit that specific stereotype, you sort of feel like, well, am I bulimic? Do I have a problem? And then when you don't think you have a problem, yeah. it's easier to keep going with the, the behaviours and the patterns. So I don't binge, I just purge. Um, which is still diagnosed as bulimia. But it's a little bit more complex and layered because, you know, there's elements of restrictiveness and then, um, you know, disordered eating with 
being super picky with what I eat or feeling a lot of guilt around certain types, certain food groups. Um, so obviously I'm sure the people closest to me were suspecting that there was something going on, but I kept it to myself and I convinced myself that there was nothing wrong with what I was doing and that it was, it became a coping mechanism. So when you say that you weren't cookie cutter. I didn't binge. I've never binged. Oh, is that the part that's not cookie cutter? Yeah. So it's, okay. it's generally, um, like GPs and stuff will be really shocked if you tell them you don't binge or if you lose a lot of weight. Typically, um, people with bulimia nervosa gain weight or their weight like remains in a healthy sort of range, which uh-huh. isn't very widely recognised. I think a lot of people think that stereotype of an eating disorder is being super thin and losing yes. a lot of weight. And- yeah, because I'm looking at you and you are a beautiful woman. You. You've had a past as a model. Um <laughs> You look healthy, though. You're slim, but you look healthy. You don't look like someone that needs to be institutionalised. Mm. And I think that's a really important part of this conversation is even though one way presents itself, what is actually going on is really tricky. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, And it would probably allow you to get away with more because you're not so emaciated that you look like you can't walk or sit or stand Mm -hmm. because I'm sure we can all have a visual of seeing those men and women that have gotten to that point what is it then that keeps its hold on you I think identifying the specific triggers of an eating disorder is something that basically everyone that's ever had that happen to them in their life would love to be able to do yeah but it is also impossible I think for me um I don't know what triggered a disordered relationship with food or an unhealthy relationship with food but I do know that a lack of control in my life feeling um like I don't have control of my emotions or my experiences or the trauma that I've been through definitely contributes to sustaining it. So Mm. I don't know what started it, um, but I know that it's fueled by trauma. It's fueled by experiences of um, unpleasant sort of relationships or being out of control of outcomes that impact, you know, your discourse. And, and that's really hard. And as you said, um, the fact that there is the way that eating disorders are portrayed are so distorted and so inconsistent with the actual experiences that people have. It actually is super um, unhelpful and it fuels for people suffering with eating disorders. It fuels the belief in your mind that you're not sick enough to seek help Yes, or you don't look a certain way. So you mustn't be ill or yes. you don't, you know, you still look healthy or people aren't commenting on the fact that you haven't, you know, been eating properly for months or people aren't noticing excessive weight loss. So they're not raising a red flag and and showing concern. So then if people aren't concerned and if you don't fit the stereotype of what an unhealthy ill person looks like, then why should you seek help? And what, what, like, do you have a problem? It makes you question, do you have a problem at all? Or are you fine? So... Nine years is a long time to battle with something like this. How bad was it for you to go, okay, I need to explore this? Hmm. Um, I think it was a whole variety of things and influences and people telling me that it was definitely time for something to change. So when I was 14, 
I developed something called rumination syndrome, which is very different to bulimia, but has so many similarities. So it started off with me sort of restricting my food and being super conscious of um, my weight and whatever else. And for a 14 year old girl, that's, that's pretty traumatic. Mm. Um, And retrospectively looking back now, I feel like I was definitely, um, I was suffering with body dysmorphia. And so rumination syndrome is where you subconsciously regurgitate your food, but you're not making the conscious decision to go and purge. That's confusing, isn't it? Super confusing. So so does food actually come, like, is it enough that you need to spit it out? Yes. So it's not just like indigestion coming up and down. No. It's actually enough to spit out, Mm -hmm. which then say you're not bulimic and you don't want it to continue, do you have to learn a new way to deal with your esophagus or like your throat or how does that work? Um, So initially when I developed that, it was really confusing for me because as you say, like it's very strange to be bringing up food without making the conscious decision. And then you're bringing up enough that it's visible to you and you have to spit it out and whatever else. But it's not like when you're purging and you know very clearly that you are bringing up a substantial amount of food. Mm. So that definitely makes it a bit tricky. And for a 14-year-old, it's super confusing. And I just wrote it off as like a medical thing. Like, how could this be emotional? It's just medical. But I worked with a therapist who kind of made me realize that the reason that I was restricting food and then when I wasn't restricting, I was regurgitating it or ruminating it was because there was something in my life I couldn't swallow. So I was a kid that just went through a lot but never talked about it or I would have big things happen in my life or my family unit or whatever and I would say, I don't feel anything about this. I'm completely numb to this. Like, I'm fine. But I wasn't fine. I was burying those feelings deeply within myself. And because emotionally I didn't have the maturity to understand that I needed to process them, my body was sort of doing the processing for me by saying, you you can't keep bringing all this, you can't keep holding all these emotions in and you can't keep holding these experiences in without processing them. So the food was a way for me to manifest those sort of traumas. Wow. So doctors and therapists and other people even like they didn't understand it so when the people that you trust around you and your family and you know trusted adults and medical professionals don't understand what's happening to you at 14 15 16 you just think this is too hard like you just put it in the too hard basket yeah Yeah, I remember the one time I did tell a lady that was like a trusted family friend that I had had an experience with bulimia and you know at that stage I was pretty much recovered and she said to me the thing about bulimics is why eat it in the first place and I oh remember just thinking to myself like I was triggered by that for probably two or three days like I slipped into quite a dark place mentally and I remember like just my purging got so out of control and I just because straight away you think I'm not sick I just feel like so many of us can connect with an element of this regardless. Absolutely. And I think that's what, like, having an eating disorder in this society is so hard because, like, something I learned being in in treatment is that we live in a world where so many people are on the spectrum of disordered eating. They just don't take it that next step. So, like, dieting or fasting or whatever else or extreme clean eating now learning literally the extreme like you know 
Um, veganism, like absolutely support veganism, but some of the more extreme mentalities towards it or the extreme exercise things that we see on Instagram and it's all that obsessive stuff that fuels disordered eating but just not everyone takes it so far and like as you just said from such a young age I knew about dieting or fasting or detoxes or the Atkins diet the Dukin diet all of this stuff for a young girl is infiltrating her mind and making her believe that you need to be doing something to improve your body or to improve your appearance in order to be worthy of respect or reassurance from the broader society. And that is 100% a massive point of contention for me because I know that fueled my eating disorder because when I was at my healthiest, probably around the age of 17 and 18, I wasn't engaging in those disordered eating patterns and I felt unworthy. I felt like a slob or lazy or like I was doing something wrong. And being a Maltese woman and an Indigenous woman, but I'm just speaking from my experience being a Maltese woman, so much culturally is revolved around food. Oh, my gosh, yes. Right? And so much of that kind of eat, 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 like Mm. have three plates and they, they, you know, our families will cheer us on for going back for seconds and thirds. Yeah. It's this kind of weird juxtaposition of being from a culture that celebrates food and celebrates voluptuous bodies and women are, you know, beautiful in any size to then going, oh, but I want to do that and I want to be a part of a culture that celebrates that and then being on the flip side of like, oh, but I've really got to go back to school or I need to walk into work and and society has expectations. Yeah. How do you feel like you juggle that. Um, that's actually a really interesting point because it was my birthday a few days ago and I had this massive dinner with my whole family and they went to so much trouble to make sure there was like all this food I love and it was amazing. Really, um, it was like it was beautiful and I felt so grateful to have everyone there and to be so blessed to have the op- like the opportunity to have all this beautiful food and great company. And I remember at a certain point I'd eaten. And I started to feel really overwhelmed because for me, that's a huge trigger is eating in front of people um, or eating specifically eating foods that are not deemed healthy in front of people because I feel super judged, even though in my logical mind, I know nobody cares. Like literally. They're probably enjoying you enjoying it, right? Yeah, right. But I feel like I'm being watched. So I remember at a certain point I started to get this overwhelming feeling and then generally what would happen to me is then the urge to purge kind of comes on. So that's sort of my general pattern. And when that feeling came on, I started to feel a lot of self-hatred because, you know, I got into my own head a bit and I was like, who are you to not be grateful for this? Like you have so much opportunity and you have so much access and you're having a beautiful birthday dinner and so many people have gone to so much trouble to make this special for you. And you're just so ungrateful. Like, I I just couldn't find it in myself to be kind to myself in that moment and to say, this is okay and this is a part of my illness. Like, this is just my illness trying to play tricks with me and I can get through this. I just couldn't find it within myself because I felt quite um, resentful of my my mind and myself that I couldn't see past my eating disorder and that I was letting it get the best of me in that moment in spite of the fact that – everything around me was great and everyone was trying and no one was making unhelpful comments and no one was trying to trigger me. 
but you know, it, like it's it's a powerful thing. It's like a beast of its own. Like there's nothing you. It's can almost do. like you can't fight it in the you moment. You can't sometimes, yeah. And even like working since coming out of treatment to fight the urges and to not purge, it's you know, that's one thing. Like you know, it's super hard and it's testing sometimes. And sometimes I'm I'm unsuccessful and I give in. But the mind and the mind games that your eating disorder plays with you are a whole other thing because even when you're not purging, it's still there. It's within you and it takes a lot of work to get to a point where you can feel the pressure and you can feel the resentment and you can can hear the voices in your head and you can acknowledge them but not invite them in. Oof. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. It takes a lot of work and it's something like, you know, I'm not perfect at. It's definitely still a work in progress for me. And I know now like it always will be, like I I will probably never be perfect at them. I hope that as the years go on and I get better at controlling my urges and, you know, taking proactive steps to build a better relationship with my body and with my relationship with food, I hope that they get, you know, quieter. But I know that there will be times when they're loud and they're roaring and they're overwhelming and they're there. And I think that that definitely gets me down sometimes. And I'd say most people that have had an eating disorder of any type would say the same thing, knowing that at times it just feels like a life sentence. You just think, what's the point? Like you just want to give in because it's so much easier to live with an eating disorder than it is to fight it. What do you do at the dinner when you're overwhelmed and you can feel the internal battle beginning and you don't want to make it weird and you don't want to draw attention? Do you voice it and go, I'm struggling? Or do you go, just act normal, we're going to get through this, you can have a breather? How do you, what do you do in that moment now? Like what are some of those tools that you learnt in clinic? Mm, So generally for the last nine years, my coping mechanism has been to internalise everything. Like I think a massive part of the reason it took me so long to get help was because I didn't ever tell anyone how unwell I was or how much my eating disorder was affecting my mood and I would slip into depression and anxiety and not wanting you know cancelling plans and not wanting to be around friends or family and I would have all these things happen and it would have to get to a really weird place where I was like completely doing things that were completely out of character and not showing up to you know um dinners or whatever just randomly or cancelling with with really weird excuses for people to say, you know, something's wrong. So internalising was my coping mechanism because I felt like as long as I kind of looked like my life was under control and I wasn't speaking out, I didn't have to acknowledge the fact that I wasn't in control of anything at all. Mm. But since going in and getting some treatment and, you know, trying to learn some new tools, and to be honest, like the treatment wasn't amazing. I've, I've done a lot more work with like my psychologist, my, I've got a psychotherapist actually, not a psychologist. And he really helps me delve into the deeper, um, you know, the deeper issues and the underlying feelings and emotions and experiences and traumas that manifest in my, well, that my eating disorder manifests from. So now I guess I just acknowledge the feelings and I talk to someone that I feel supported by. So be it my mum or another family member or a close friend if we're all out at dinner. And I just say, you know, this this is hard for me, but I, I try and continue to take a positive approach because if I don't, 
I mean, everything would be ruined, you know, mm. if you can't just try and overlook it and just work hard to, it, it's kind of like having an angel and a devil on either shoulder. Like you're going to hear both, but yeah, you, you have which to. Which is stronger. Mm. On a bad day, how much of your day would be consumed by the negative thoughts, the the eating disorder? Um, on a really bad day, they could be with me all day, but definitely like every meal time or every time I have a coffee or, you know, it's usually fine in the moment. It's after the fact that it really becomes overwhelming. So I'll eat and I'll be fine and I'll feel normal. And that's kind of the trap because you're like, okay, this is cool. I'll have a plate of food. This is delicious. This pasta is great, whatever. And then 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, my goodness, you're going to put on so much weight from that and you're going to be fat and no one's going to think that you're worth anything because physically you're going to look different. And it's really not about any of that stuff, but that's what your mind's telling you in that moment to probably detract from the fact that you have a lot of deeper emotions or feelings of, you know, a lack of self-worth or not a lot of self-love. Yeah. It's just, I feel like it's um, it's a really slippery slope and I think it's so brave that you're doing the work because it's so hard. It is, yeah. And it's hard that it's with you, with something that, like consuming food and drinks that will keep you alive, which mm. is a necessity, that that is a trigger every yeah. single day for you. Mm. Have you had any physical ailments because of your like currently like any byproduct from having the eating disorder now yeah so um bulimia or all eating disorders but bulimia has serious issues on uh serious like gynecological repercussions so I don't know if I said this at the beginning but my eating disorder didn't evolve into full-blown bulimia until I was in into my adult years, so like 19, 20, and it kind of ebbed and flowed. So uh-huh. I'd go through periods, but it didn't really grab a tight rein on me until probably about two years ago when it became a very consistent thing in my life. And um, I lost my period, so that was probably the first wow. um, yeah, sign. Quite, quite um, graphic, but, yeah, I lost my period, so that was the first sign. And I've had like iron deficiencies, dehydration, um, definitely like, you know, it's, it's not physical, but oh my goodness, like my mood swings and my emotional meltdowns have been insane over the last year. Like, you know, you, you can't function properly when you're starving and you haven't either haven't eaten or everything you have eaten in the last few days has been purged. Like you, you cannot operate like a normal human being. So I, as a pretty pragmatic level-headed person, would find myself crying in the middle of the night or having wow. massive fights with my mom. And I'm, I'm not a confrontational person. So that was super out of character for me. And I was really struggling to hold it together at one stage. And then I would just eat something and I'd feel better. <sighs> and then I'd be back down the rabbit hole in the same sort of cycle. Oh. Okay. So none of it, none of it says to you, you ate, you feel better. That's normal. It's the other, it's you ate, I'm going to lash you with all of this punishment. Yeah. So really the, the devil on the shoulder wants you to exist on air. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the human parts of your physiological health, like eat. Yes. And so you break, well, towards what the devil would like and Mm -hmm. you eat and then he punishes you. 
and then that's the cycle. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a bit. More I know it's everybody sometimes. has a different, but yeah, that that's pretty much it. Um, there are time, there are days when I feel really good, and you know, I'll go for a dinner, and I won't want to purge. But that's you know, that's not the general no. experience. Yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What do you say to people like um, your mum or parents out there that either you need help and support and you don't know how to start the conversation or they might see something that's wrong and how do they approach it's super hard, especially, um, you know, like for my mum, she'd never had an experience with eating disorders. So like any other parent would or like any other person would, she assumed, you know, I was feeling super insecure and I wanted to be thinner. And, you know, as I'd gotten to around 17 and 18, I'd started to gain weight because I was trying to work on developing a really healthy relationship with my body and food. So she's obviously thought that, you know, I just wanted to go the other way. But that was quite damaging too because she didn't understand or, you know, nobody in my life at that stage really understood that I felt like I was lacking a lot of control over my own discourse. Mm. And that's, you know, I think the thing that a lot of people or something that I have only even really just realised myself is that purging for me and a lot of people's eating disorder for them is like a companion. It's like your best friend. Like, you know, it's been with me for nine years that's the better part of a decade that's a lot longer than some of the friendships I've got that's pretty much through all my formative years from 14 to 22 and every time I need an emotional release or every time I feel overwhelmed or every time I feel disappointed in myself or I'm going through something or I'm losing control over elements of my life it's there for me so it feels it I'm hearing it like a comfort it's a comfort absolutely it's a comfort but isn't it uncom? I know this is I'm asking someone that is dealing with an eating disorder a question you might not be able to answer but isn't it uncomfortable no. to physically vomit I mean physically in the moment it doesn't feel great but it's like an emotional release, release. so yeah. afterwards it's it's almost sounds a bit like how people self-harm mm. or cut mm-hmm. and they say that when they do that it's like a release mm-hmm. I know or like a so, relief of some sort yeah so like with self-harming I've never been able to understand that but I can certainly see as an outsider that can't understand that, how it must be for people that don't understand eating disorders either. Mm. Because obviously as an outsider looking in, you would just think like seriously eat something and you'll feel better. But that emotional relief, like that light feeling I get after purging, it can be quite intoxicating and it can be quite addictive, you know. Right. It makes me... Like high. Yeah, kind of. Some of. Sort. Definitely. Okay. It must be so exhausting fighting that constantly it is yeah and something I'm trying to focus on and that I think like most people if you spoke to them 
um, that had recovered from an eating disorder would say really helped them is I'm trying to acknowledge its role in my life. You know, it has been formative and it has been a source of comfort and a source of emotional relief. And instead of resenting it for what it's taken from me, I think it's just I'm at a point now where I'm learning to just acknowledge that it did serve a purpose in some way. I mean, it was completely unhealthy and I look back and I think, wow, like how different certain things in my life or certain feelings I've had could have been without it. But when I was um, in the clinic, the eating disorder clinic, I met a girl who told me that she would never change her trauma or take back her eating disorder. And in that moment, I remember we were actually like in an art class together and I remember looking and thinking, that is so crazy to me. Like if I could just wipe all these years and start again, I would do it in a heartbeat. And then a few days later, I was sort of reflecting and I thought, you know, if you continue to resent it, you never, you're never free from it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like when you hate someone, like you're not, ever going to be free from them or like if you break up with someone and all you're obsessed with is getting closure they're always going to have a hold over you yeah and so now I'm kind of working on developing a relationship with my eating disorder which is kind of crazy but I I sort of see it as like you know an abusive ex-boyfriend or you know a toxic friend where I'm like you know you served your purpose it wasn't all bad you gave me something you did give like my eating disorder did give me something yes how do you move on from it? Yeah. But honor it in a way that it doesn't come back. Yeah. Like, aggressively. you know, sort of just acknowledging that it did serve its purpose and it wasn't all bad. Like, I don't, there were, I don't know what I would have turned to if I didn't turn to that. bulimia. So I want to acknowledge that, but also acknowledge the fact that the only choice I have left is to let it go before it sort of, you know, when you get to that point of a relationship or a friendship or whatever, and you just realize like, it's time to let go. Oh yeah. It's sort of like that. Or like, I'll kill you if you don't kill me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's how I feel. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to be angry at the fact, because the thing is at the end of the day, when I resent being bulimic, I resent myself and I feel and that's like, a part of it, right? That's a part of the self-loathing. Yeah, and I feel like a failure and I feel like, oh, my goodness, you've caused so much stress to yourself and to your family and to the people that love you and you've just been such an idiot. But at the end of the day, I can't change the fact that this is how my life transpired. I can't change my history or my past. I can only hope to change, you know, the way I move forward. Mm. I just want to sit in the the seat of the audience when they're listening to you and make sure that they all understand what's going on really clearly. And you are so articulate and so smart. Thank you. Did the clinic make you feel, how was that? Like, I can imagine a lot of that would have been triggering just to be around like-minded people. Mm -hmm. But a day in there is that like you are forced a meal like they give you a like some food and you have to eat it and then they watch you or something yeah it was super medical um retrospectively had I been in a better mind frame when I decided to seek help I probably would have gone with something a little bit more therapeutic because I'm a person that wants to get to the root of the problem I don't just want to treat I can't just treat my eating disorder at the surface level because I think that's what I did for so long. It just doesn't work for me anymore. Um, So it was definitely very clinical in the sense that, yeah, you eat, you're observed eating, you're observed after eating. 
But unfortunately, you know, I hate to romanticise anything here, but for me, having been bulimic for so long, I kind of am almost like a professional purger. Like I can do it hours after if I have to. Right. So not getting... You can beat their system is what you're saying. Yeah, so you really had to want help and had to want to change and had to take accountability being in there. And I think that was really hard and... The whole eating thing was super overwhelming and losing the element of choice when you're... Like, even if you don't want to eat that thing, yeah, you still have to eat you it. have to eat every Is meal. it hospital-style food or is it nicer than that? No, it was beautiful food. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think a huge element of eating disorders that's only really come into light in the last few years with more education and research is that the control. It makes you feel in control. So losing an element of control with the forced eating and then knowing that, you know, there's kind of going to be people watching to make sure you're not purging and you don't have a choice of when you eat or what you eat, you just have to sort of... So they don't even say these are your three choices for breakfast? Oh, yeah. Look, there's a... There's a like, there's is a there variety. A menu? Okay. Yeah. There okay. Is a great. Var- so it's not like they're giving you like no, cornflakes no. for two weeks. There is some variety. There is a variety, but I mean, you still feel like you lose an element of, of control. Course. It's not what you would eat at home, or you don't like this milk. You like that milk. Yeah. Or whatever. So you're really relenting to the program, and relenting means giving up control, which for me is a huge trigger for my eating disorder, and I think that's kind of the point of it, and the kind of the reason that they do it. And you learn to just normalize the fact that eating is not a way to control your emotions. So you really feel it's super you're overwhelming. Feeling you're feeling everything. You can't hide behind. You know, when you when I have a flashback to a traumatic moment in my life, I can hide behind the fact that I'm going to restrict, and then all that's going to be on my mind is food and eating, and I'm going to be hungry. So it's really distracting from the trauma. Super distracting, and that's that's how you get the element of control out of it. Like by not doing something. Uh You don't have to think about things that have happened to you that have been out of your control. So when you're in the setting and they're forcing you to eat and you're losing control, are you then starting to feel the things you don't want to feel? Definitely. And for me, the forcing me to eat, it was initially hard because I definitely have restrictive. Are they like literally sitting across from you watching you? Yeah. But they're not eating, but you have to eat? I mean, I think a lot of them um, tried to be super empathetic by eating, but yeah, um, most of the time it's you know, there's no obligation for them to do so. That's also a bit awkward. Yeah. Just like if you don't have an eating disorder to eat with someone just watching you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So so you're feeling very confronted. You've lost all your power. You've put yourself there. Mm-hmm. Is there a part that's like, you know what, I can get myself out of here anytime I want. I can like ring the bell. Yes. But also do you feel like... It's, is that also a part of the mind that's tricking you out of getting help? I think so. Like I think the f- it was a whole sort of range of things that went through my mind and emotions that I felt before I just relented to the process. But initially I felt like, wow, I'm not sick enough to be here. But as I've already said yeah. before, that's such a trap because you, if you purge every meal, you are sick. Are you allowed to share stories or your experience with other um, patients? No, because that can be triggering um, to them. Okay. So is your, because um, you're, you've got other inpatients there, mm-hmm. is your experience purely you and the staff? There is no. Yeah. There's some group therapy, but you try not to talk about anything too specific and it's more sort of arming you with tools 
to overcome things. Um, yeah. All things. So did you feel your experience was insightful and helpful? I did because I really had an opportunity to just rest. And I think probably about midway through, I realized that by taking the eating thing out of my hands, they took a lot of the pressure off me. So, you know, I didn't have to obsess over, oh my God, what am I going to eat? Is it going to be healthy enough? Am I going to want to purge after this? You know, is there something I can do to not want to purge? And I just had to really focus on the urges that I had and overcoming the urge to purge. Um, And then, you know, I tried to delve into why those urges still existed all these years later. And I think just accepting that, you know, this is an integral part of my identity and it's been an integral part of my formative years and I can't take that away. I think I just got, I just got to a point of acceptance and I think I started to say, you know what, I've seen this as a life sentence because everyone always tells you like it's like addiction or, yeah. um, you know, diseases or whatever. They always tell you like, this will be with you forever. This is it. This is with you forever. And that's helpful because it's honest. So from a really young age, I, I knew that I'd always struggle with food. But I think right up until I sought treatment, I just saw it as a life sentence. And that can be really detrimental and restrictive yeah because you just say oh my goodness this is going to be with me forever and then on the bad days having that in the back of your mind you're like what's the point like what's the point in trying to get past this yeah so I think I realized that yes the demons will be within me forever and yes the urges will probably come on during every time of hardship or emotional turmoil that I personally encounter but it's not a life sentence and it is something I can come out the other end of and I can make conscious steps to build a beautiful healthy fulfilling enriched life for myself and you know as long as I believe I'm worthy of that and I work towards that I'm the only person that inhibits my ability to attain it you know Mm -hmm. I can't keep um resenting my eating disorder from what it's for what it's taken from me I can only stop it from taking more and I think as well just it's hard to let go of something that has been a source of comfort and emotional relief for so long so just grieving it like Mm. it's hard to grieve something like this too because you're not taught that this has any benefit to your life you're taught that this is a source of pain and stress for your family and for your loved ones and it's a source of pain and um you know, discomfort for yourself. But ultimately there is an element of comfort and there is a part of it that provides an outlet for you that you don't get from other people or other areas of your life. So filling that void with positive relationships or a positive relationship with yourself, it's it's hard work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do have to grieve the loss of something that's just fit so naturally you have just shared so much with us today um i hope you feel okay i do i feel like and i've gotten a very healthy emotional release here (laughs) oh good (laughs) can you tell us and i hope this isn't a triggering question but can you tell us who are you when no one's watching oh that's such a good question um i think that i am probably a very um emotional sensitive person that puts on 
a hard exterior, but that feels things quite deeply. And I think I'm a really vulnerable person when nobody's watching. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.